O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom for ever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Wednesday, July 28th. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land, not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is twenty minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the Israel Bible for the Hebrew Scriptures and from the New Living Translation for the Brit Hadashah. Today, we continue the Torah portion, Ekev, and it means, on the heel of. Deuteronomy 9, 16-29 I saw how you had sinned against Hashem your God. You had made yourselves a molten calf. You had been quick to stray from the path that Hashem had enjoined upon you. Thereupon I gripped the two tablets and flung them away with both my hands, smashing them before your eyes. I threw myself down before Hashem, eating no bread and drinking no water for forty days and forty nights, as before, because of the great wrong you had committed, doing what displeased Hashem and vexing Him. For I was in dread of Hashem's fierce anger against you, which moved him to wipe you out. And that time, too, Hashem gave heed to me. Moreover, Hashem was angry enough with Aaron to have destroyed him. So I also interceded for Aaron at that time. As for that sinful thing you had made, the calf, I took it and put it to the fire. 
I broke it to bits and ground it thoroughly until it was fine as dust, and I threw its dust into the brook that comes down from the mountain. Again, you provoked Hashem at Tabera, and at Massa, and at Kibroth Hatava. And when Hashem sent you on from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up, and take possession of the land that I am giving you, you flouted the command of Hashem your God. You did not put your trust in Him and did not obey Him. As long as I have known you, you have been defiant toward Hashem. When I lay prostrate before Hashem those forty days and forty nights, because Hashem was determined to destroy you, I prayed to Hashem and said, O Hashem, do not annihilate your very own people whom you redeemed in your majesty and whom you freed from Egypt with a mighty hand. Give thought to your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and pay no heed to the stubbornness of this people its wickedness, and its sinfulness. Else the country from which you freed us will say, it was because Hashem was powerless to bring them into the land that He had promised them, and because He rejected them, that He brought them out to have them die in the wilderness. Yet they are your very own people whom you freed with your great might and your outstretched arm. Second Chronicles 21, 1 to 23, 21. Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His son Jehoram succeeded him as king. He had brothers, sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Yekiel, Zechariah, Azarihu, Michael, and Shephatiah. All these were sons of King Jehoshaphat of Israel. Their father gave them many gifts of silver, gold, and other presents, as well as fortified towns in Yehuda. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Jehoram proceeded to take firm hold of his father's kingdom and put to the sword all his brothers, as well as some of the officers of Israel. Jehoram was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He followed the practices of the kings of Israel, doing what the house of Ahab had done, for he married a daughter of Achav. He did what was displeasing to Hashem. However, Hashem refrained from destroying the house of David for the sake of the covenant he had made with David, and in accordance with his promise to maintain a lamb for him and his descendants for all time. During his reign the Edomites rebelled against Yehuda's rule and set up a king of their own. Jehoram advanced against them with his officers and all his chariots. He arose by night and attacked the Edomites who surrounded him and the chariot commanders. Edom has been in rebellion against Yehuda to this day. Libna also rebelled against him at that time because he had forsaken God of his fathers. 
Moreover, he built shrines in the hill country of Yehuda. He led astray the inhabitants of Jerusalem and made Yehuda wayward. A letter from Eliyahu the Navi came to him, which read, Thus says God of your father David, Since you have not followed the practices of your father Jehoshaphat and the practices of King Asa of Yehuda, but have followed the practices of the kings of Israel, leading astray Yehuda and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as the house of Ahab led them astray, and have also killed your brothers of your father's house, who were better than you. Therefore Hashem will inflict a great blow upon your people, your sons, and your wives, and all your possessions. As for you, you will be severely stricken with the disorder of the bowels year after year, until your bowels drop out. Hashem stirred up the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabs who were neighbors of the Cushites against Jehoram. They marched against Jehuda, breached its defenses, and carried off all the property that was found in the king's palace, as well as his sons and his wives. The only son who remained was Jehoahaz, his youngest. After this, Hashem afflicted him with an incurable disease of the bowels. Some years later, when a period of two years had elapsed, his bowels dropped out because of his disease, and he died a gruesome death. His people did not make a fire for him like the fire for his fathers. He was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He departed unpraised and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. The inhabitants of Jerusalem made Akaziahu, his youngest son, king in his stead, because all the older ones had been killed by the troops that penetrated the camp with the Arabs. Akaziahu, son of Jehoram, reigned as king of Jehuda. Akaziahu was forty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem one year. His mother's name was Atalia, daughter of Omri. He, too, followed the practices of the house of Ahab, for his mother counseled him to do evil. He did what was displeasing to Hashem, like the house of Ahab, for they became his counselors after his father's death to his ruination. Moreover, he followed their counsel and marched with Jehoram, son of King Ahab of Israel, to battle against King Haziel of Aram at Ramoth-Gilead, where the Arameans wounded Joram. He returned to Israel to recover from the wounds inflicted on him at Ramah when he fought against King Haziel of Aram. King Azariah, son of Jehoram of Yehuda, went down to Israel to visit Jehoram, son of Ahab, while he was ill. Hashem caused the downfall of Akaziahu because he visited Joram. During his visit he went out with Jehoram to Jehu, son of Nimshi, whom Hashem had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. In the course of bringing the house of Ahab to judgment, Jehu came upon the officers of Yehuda and the nephews of Akaziahu, ministers of Akaziahu, and killed them. He sent in search of Akaziahu, who was caught hiding in Samaria, Shomron was brought to Jehu and put 
to death. He was given a burial because it was said he is the son of Jehoshaphat who worshipped Hashem wholeheartedly. So the house of Akaziahu could not muster the strength to rule. When Atalia, Akaziahu's mother, learned that her son was dead, she promptly did away with all who were of the royal stock of the house of Yehuda. But Jehoshaphat, daughter of the king, spirited away Akaziahu's son, Joash, from among the princes who were being slain, and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Jehoshaphat, daughter of the king Jehoram, wife of Kohen Jehoiada, she was the sister of Akaziahu, kept him hidden from Atalia, so that he was not put to death. He stayed with them for six years, hidden in the house of Hashem, while Atalia reigned over the land. In the seventh year, Yehoiada took courage and brought the chiefs of the hundreds, Azariah son of Jehoram, Ishmael son of Yehoyanan, Azariah son of Obed, Messiah son of Adiah, and Elishaphat son of Zikri into a compact with him. They went through Yehudah and assembled the Leviim from all the towns of Yehudah and the chiefs of the clans of Israel. They came to Jerusalem, and the entire assembly made a covenant with them, with the king in the house of Hashem. He said to them, The son of the king shall be king according to the promise Hashem made concerning the sons of David. This is what you must do. One-third of you, Kohanim and Leviim, who are on duty for the week, shall be gatekeepers at the thresholds. Another third shall be stationed in the royal palace, and the other third at the foundation gate. All the people shall be in the courts of the house of Hashem. Let no one enter the house of Hashem except the Kohanim and the ministering Leviim. They may enter because they are sanctified, but all the people shall obey the proscription of Hashem. The Leviim shall surround the king on every side, every man with his weapons at the ready, and whoever enters the house shall be killed. Stay close to the king in his comings and goings. The Leviim and all Yehuda did just as Jehoiada the Kohen ordered. Each took his men, those who were on duty that week, and those who were off duty that week. For Yehoiada the Kohen had not dismissed the divisions. Yehoiada the Kohen gave the chiefs of the hundreds King David's spears and shields and quivers that were kept in the house of Hashem. He stationed the entire force, each man with his weapons at the ready, from the south end of the house to the north end of the house, at the altar and the house to guard the king on every side. Then they brought out the king's son and placed upon him the crown and the insignia. They proclaimed him king, and Yehoiada and his sons anointed him and shouted, Long live the king! When Atalia heard the shouting of the people, and the guards, and the acclamation of the king, she came out to the people to the house of Hashem. She looked about and saw the king standing by his pillar at the entrance, the chiefs with their trumpets beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets, and singers with musical instruments leading the hymns, 
Atalia rent her garments and cried out, Treason! Treason! Then the Kohen Yehoyada ordered out the army officers, the chiefs of hundreds, and said to them, Take her out between the ranks, and if anyone follows her, put him to the sword. For the Kohen thought, Let her not be put to death in the house of Hashem. They cleared a passage for her, and she came to the entrance of the horse gate to the royal palace. There she was put to death. Then Yehoyada solemnized a covenant between himself and the people, and the king that they should be the people of Hashem. All the people then went to the temple of Baal. They tore it down and smashed its altars and images to bits, and they slew Matan, the priest of Baal in front of the altars. Yehoyada put the officers of the house of Hashem in the charge of Levite Kohanim, whom David had assigned over the house of Hashem, to offer up burnt offerings, as is prescribed in the teaching of Moses, accompanied by joyful song, as ordained by David. He stationed the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of Hashem, to prevent the entry of anyone unclean for any reason. He took the chiefs of hundreds, the nobles, and the rulers of the people, and all the people of the land, and they escorted the king down from the house of Hashem into the royal palace by the upper gate, and seated the king on the royal throne. All the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet. As for Atalia, she had been put to the sword. Romans eleven thirteen to thirty six. I, Paul, am saying all this especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as the apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have, so I might save some of them. For since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who were dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy, just as the entire batch of dough is holy, because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, 
those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Yeshua. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again, for God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You by nature were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have harder hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved, as the scriptures say. The one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge! How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Psalm 22, 1-18 My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. 
Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. Do not stay so far from me, for trouble is near, and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. The fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Proverbs 27 The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. I'd like to speak to you today from Romans 11. And in Romans 11, we see a picture painted for us by Paul of an olive tree. And the olive tree represents the nation and people of Israel. And the roots of this tree are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You could also say that the roots of this tree are the Torah and Yeshua, who is the Torah made flesh. And we see two different kinds of branches that are upon this olive tree, the wild branches and the natural or cultivated branches. And Paul gives a very severe warning. He goes on in Romans chapter 11, verse, well, I'll start with verse 17. The wild branches are the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And in verse 17 it is written, But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches of a wild olive tree, so the Gentiles are the wild branches, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. So when you're grafted in by faith in Yeshua, then the covenant that God made with Abraham and his descendants now applies to you and me. 
The covenant that God said to Abraham was, I'm going to make your seed more numerous than the stars of the sky and more numerous than the sand of the seashore. And you see this land, look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. I give you this land. And from Elan Moray, Abraham surveyed the land, and God made that promise to him. So that covenant applies to you and me. We are grafted in by faith. We are the wild branches if we are not Jewish. But here comes the warning. Verse 18, but you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. And he goes on to say, well, verse 19, you may say those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, in Yeshua. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. I want to hit the pause button and just expound upon this, open it up and unpack it for you. Over the centuries of very destructive and diabolical doctrine has wormed its way into mainstream Christianity. And that doctrine is the doctrine of replacement theology. What exactly is replacement theology? It's the idea that God is done with the Jews and with Israel. They have been broken off. Those those natural branches are broken off and cast into the burn pile. And now the church has replaced Israel. So all the covenants and the promises and the blessings that were promised to Abraham and his seed no longer applies to the Jews, but it all goes to the church. And so this replacement theology, um, I'll give you a few examples of how it manifested. At the Council of Nicaea in um, maybe 300 AD, some somewhere in that time frame, um, a bunch of the church elders got together and they made some decisions that no longer were they going to keep the Sabbath, but instead the day of worship would be Sunday. And um, Constantine made Christianity the state religion under his rulership in Rome, but he also worshipped the sun. And he had banners and coins that said Invictus Sol, the day of the sun. And so he wanted to bring in as many pagans as possible to the new Christian state religion. And so instead of trying to buck them, he said, okay, well, they all worship the sun. So let's just make our day of worship Sunday, S-U-N, Sunday. So they worshiped the sun and they changed the day of worship that was prescribed in the Bible uh, as one of the Ten Commandments from Sabbath. Friday sundown to Saturday sundown now goes to Sunday. Um, there was tremendous anti-Semitism. And the Jews were kicked out of Jerusalem. You weren't allowed to keep the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to keep the feasts. Um, 
And then there were the pogroms, where Jews were evicted out of Spain in 1492. They were evicted out of England in the 1200s. And there were pogroms in Russia and in Poland. Um, Jews were falsely accused of killing Christians, children or babies, and taking their blood and using their blood to make the matzah cracker for Passover. Horrible, horrible things. The Inquisitions, the Crusades, the Holocaust. Now, Martin Luther, he did a lot of great things. He got the Bible unchained from the podium. And basically, with the Gutenberg printing press, got the Bible translated into the native tongue of the people and got the Bible into the hands of the people so that they could then read the scriptures for themselves. It started the Age of Enlightenment. So no longer were they having it read to them by the Catholic priests in some strange language that they didn't know in Latin. But many people are not aware of the fact that Martin Luther was extremely anti-Semitic. And he wrote a book called On the Jews and Their Lies. And in this book, he basically said, we should burn their synagogues. We should smash the windows of their business. We should evict them out of their towns. We should set their Torah scrolls on fire. And all of those words that he wrote in the 1400s, 500 years later, in the 1930s and 40s, the German Nazis took those ideas and put them into action. And Martin Luther was one of their heroes. The Nazis revered him. Hitler himself revered him. And his book on the Jews and their lies was widely circulated amongst the Nazis. And on Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, I believe it was November the 9th of 1937 or 1938, on that infamous day when the Nazis went out and smashed windows and destroyed Jewish businesses and set synagogues on fire and burned Torah scrolls, they did it on Martin Luther's birthday. That was his birthday. And they were basically implementing and executing everything that he was saying in that book. So the ideas became reality. This is all the fruit, the evil fruit of replacement theology. That somehow the natural branches that have been broken off because of unbelief are now headed for the burn pile. And the church has replaced Israel. Nothing could be further from the truth. Paul warns them. Warns them. He says in verse 22, But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. It goes on to say in verse 24, You by nature were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. So all of the branches that get grafted into this tree, whether they be wild or the natural branches, 
are all there for one reason, by God's grace and his mercy. All the branches, as a people or individually, were initially in rebellion and in unbelief. And as a people or individually, when a person repents and chooses to trust in Yeshua and have faith in him, then that branch is grafted in, whether it is wild or natural, whether that person is Jewish or non-Jewish. They're all there on equal footing, on equal grounds, by God's grace and by his mercy. And so in the church, we have much to repent for, for our church forefathers, for the evil deeds that have been done against the Jewish people. And what's interesting is that replacement theology is never really outlined as a doctrine. It's sort of assumed. It's hidden. It's behind the scenes. Um, One way that it manifests is if you happen to be in a fellowship where they always, always, always teach from the New Testament and you never hear any teachings from the Old Testament, that's replacement theology. It's basically the idea that, oh, Yeshua came along and he took the Torah and he nailed it to the cross. So the Torah is no longer relevant. The Old Testament is no longer relevant. That's all been done away with. The law. We're no longer under the law. Now we're under grace. Not so, my friend. That's one symptom of replacement theology. Anti-Semitism is another symptom of replacement theology. And believe me, anti-Semitism is alive and well, both in mainstream Christianity and I've seen it also in the Hebrew Roots community as well. Of all the people who should have a deep love and heart for the Jewish people, it should be people in the Hebrew Ritz community. But that's not always the case. So where is all this leading? As we repent of the historical sins of our church forefathers, and we recognize and realize that we have blood on our hands, and we repent, true heartfelt repentance, And then we have a heart to begin building the bridge between Jews and Christians, to repair the breach, to walk alongside our brother Judah with no agenda, with no strings attached, just to love, serve, and support them. God is doing a new thing, and he is building that bridge out between Jews and Christians. And this is the work and the ministry of the nation's Ninth of Av. That is their mission. And so once a year, on a very significant day on the Jewish calendar, the 9th of Av, Christians from all streams and denominations are called to repent for the historical sins of our church forefathers, to mourn and to grieve the blood that we have had on our hands, to mourn and grieve the loss and the destruction of both the first and the second temple. And when that day is over, a newfound commitment to serve, support, and love our Jewish friends, and to walk with them. And this is truly a prophecy in the midst of being fulfilled, 
because we had a kingdom split long ago. First Kings chapter 12 tells all about it. Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the kingdom split, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is Judah, that is the Jews. The northern kingdom, the ten tribes of the north. The non-Jewish part of the family. And in the end of time, in the end of days, Yeshua is going to return and he's going to reunite northern and southern kingdom. He's going to make one new man. There will no longer be two different sheepfolds a Jewish sheepfold and a non-Jewish sheepfold. Instead, there will be one sheepfold with one shepherd ruling and reigning. And so the work of the nation's ninth of Av is truly a God thing because this is preparation. This is um, something in progress, in process. This is God's heart to reunite his family. This is truly his heart. To find out more, go to their website, and the website is the number 9-av.com. That's the number 9-av.com. Shalom, and we'll see you tomorrow. Adonai Vish Mareka Yaya Adonai Vikuneka Isa Adonai Anav Eleka Vayaseh Leka Leka The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24-26 Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.